0: It's the Lens, it's the Lens, it's the Lens, got live diverse. It's the Lens, it's the Lens, it's the Lens, live diverse. You are listening to the Lens Living Diverse, a podcast brought to you by the CNIB advocacy team. Join Nisha, Vivi, and I as we speak to individuals with intersecting identities who live with sight loss as they share their unique stories. Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of the Lens Living Diverse. I am one of your hosts Ben joined by my co-host Vivi. Vivi how's it going today?
1: It's going pretty well Ben. Hello Lens listeners. Welcome to another edition.
0: Yeah gotta love another edition. So This month is a special month. This month is September uh, when we are recording, and hopefully when it is being released. And it is Guide Dog Awareness Month. Woo woo! And it's so important to celebrate uh, advocacy with guide dogs and understanding uh, the important tools of uh, how a guide dog could help a person who lives with sight loss. So, on today's episode like i always like to say we always have a special edition because to my heart every edition is very special we have two individuals who are guide dog users uh so today we're going to actually look at uh, a diverse perspective of a guide dog user because we're so used to seeing that uh western world of looking at uh, guide dogs so uh, today, we're going to get a different perspective. So we have two special guests. Uh, uh, Vivi, you know them quite well, eh?
1: I do. And I just have to interject to say that I, too, am a guide dog user. So
0: oh. two guests,
1: one co-host, three <laughs> guide dog users. I would like for the Lens listeners to meet Andrea McIver.
2: Andrea, do you want to say Hello. Sure. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm excited to be here. (laughs) First time I've ever been a part of something like this. Um, But I am a fifth year university student um, and I have been a guide dog user for three years. And Andrea is
1: also one of my advocacy volunteers. And uh, the other guide dog user we have today is Steve McKinney, also one of my excellent advocacy volunteers and a guide dog user. Steve, why don't you say hello to the audience?
3: Hello, my name is Steven McKenney. I've been a guide dog user for 26 years. I'm on my third dog, and I'm currently looking for employment.
1: (laughs) I appreciate you saying that, Steve, because (laughs) the theme for Guide Dog Access Awareness Month this year is employment. And our tagline is guide dogs belong in the workplace it's the law
0: exactly and it's so it's it's such a pleasure meeting both uh Andrea and Steve and I I feel like I'm the the odd man out I was actually going to get a guide dog just for this episode (laughs) just just to fit in with you folks but uh I digress if we could hear a little bit more about uh you two folks so uh if you could explain your your different identities as well as being guide dog users so we're going to start with you first Andrea
2: sure um so i don't know what all to include but <laughs> um so i um am an indigenous person who i'm cree <laughs> Um, so when I grew up, I kind of grew up kind of on the reserve, kind of not on a reserve. Um, and then I've been living in a city for like the past few years. So actually when I got a guide dog, I've already been living in the city. Um, so, but, you know, like taking her home for like, you know, that visit that happens every once in a while is definitely um, something that I used to worry about. (laughs) Mm.
0: Uh, thank you so much for sharing Andrea and uh, Steve for yourself
3: I've been in the city all my life and I've used the guide dog this is my third one and I've had him for 26 years so most of the time I was in the city but when I went back to the reserve for visiting I always uh, also brought my service dog with me
0: Excellent. Thank you so much, uh, for your you both sharing your experiences and uh just a different perspective. So I'm gonna go into the first question, if you don't mind. And no, actually, before I go into the first question, Vivi, how long have you had your guide dog for? Oh,
1: well, thanks, Ben. I left myself out of the conversation. So I am also on my third guide dog, and I've had my current guide dog for three years.
0: Okay, wonderful, wonderful. Okay, so I am going to go into the first question. So uh, something I would love to know, as well as the listeners, uh, can you share your experiences of being a guide dog handler? Uh, So that means barriers, stories, experiences, and as well as incorporating that in your culture. So I am going to start with uh, you first, Steve. You could uh, share some of the, your stories.
3: Oh yeah, and um, forgot to mention I'm, uh, Ojibwe. So what it is is when I have my service dog, I usually go to powwows and traditional uh, ceremonies like uh, sweats. But uh, usually, what I usually do is I leave the dog at uh, at my uh, father's house since he does sweats, or if I'm at a powwow. There was only one incident where I had a problem where I, I couldn't bring them to the, to the arbor because while I was there, somebody came with tobacco to me to say that uh, they felt bad, but uh, they couldn't bring guide dogs there. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the reason was at that time. So I had to go back to the camp and listen to the powwow from there. I wasn't able to bring my service dog with me. So I think it was, depends on which reserve it was because some of them are allowed it, so I think each one was different on their tradition. So that's the barrier that I had once at a powwow in the states.
0: Mm, and it's very interesting because, uh, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, uh, utilizing a dog is it's it's a team effort, and it's almost like leaving your your. Uh, Partner behind or not being able to go because, uh, because of having a dog. So yeah, thank you for sharing that, Steve. Do you have any other uh, stories that you'd like to share or barriers that you found as being a guide dog owner?
3: Well, usually when I go for like a sweat, Mm -hmm. usually I just leave them at uh, at a location. Like I leave them at home, or because my dad does a sweat, I usually leave them in his place, and. I don't usually question it why we can't bring a service dog to a uh, sweat, but I kind of think it's maybe it's the heat, maybe it's the, the maybe it's the people in there, like because it's a crowded small mm. place too. So I'm not sure the reason why, but I usually don't question it too.
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: So I usually go by the elders what they believe in and what I was grown up with.
0: Yeah, totally understand, totally get where you're coming from, for sure. Uh, next, so we're going to move on to you, Andrea. Is there any uh, barriers or stories or experiences that you'd like to share regarding your culture and being a guide dog handler?
2: Sure. Um, So coming from a total opposite perspective of Steve, um, I have never been to a sweat, <laughs> so I haven't had to worry about, you know, bringing my dog or leaving my dog in that regard. However, but... Um, in terms of powwows, like, I never take my dog at all, um, mostly because, you know, it's, it's loud. There's tons of people. There's tons of unsupervised children. <laughs> and you know how kids are with dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's in um, a place like an arena, which would be um, okay. And sometimes it's outdoors. And so, like, I think, like, you know, just having a guide dog um in those areas is just it's almost it's not needed because um you know if you're if you don't know where you're going and there's no like you know like walkways or whatever then I don't, I don't know about you guys but my dog gets confused <laughs> um especially if we're just like you know walking with a group of people like through the grass to get to somewhere else then she like doesn't know where to go and she gets really confused so I tend to leave her at home for all of those things um like, for example, back in June, I think it was, I went to the Manitoba Festival in Winnipeg, um, and I went with my mother and my sister, um, but I left my dog um, back at home with trusted friends, like, to watch her for the day, because it And I'm glad I did because it was like way too loud in there. Like they had a speaker system for the drummers and Mm. it was like way too loud. There was way too many people. Like um, it was so crowded. Like there was only like pathways meant for like one person. So even me just going inside a guide with my cane was hard enough. Like I couldn't imagine like, you know, having my guide with me and trying to navigate that area. And it was just like way too loud, way too many people. And it would not have been like a suitable situation. Um, but in saying that, like when I do go home to uh the reserve, um, like we can't we don't go anywhere. We can't go for walks. We can't do like much anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. because there are <laughs> tons of um, you know, like stray dogs, dogs that are just um, you know, not kept at home. Um, and s- some of them actually like group up into packs <laughs> which is not great um... at all um so like you know when when we do go home like she goes for car rides um or she plays outside in the yard on a long line so you know at least we're not you know where we can run into any dogs at all um and you know my, my parents or my siblings can be out there to watch as well because um, sometimes you know uh, we do come run into dogs that <laughs> follow vehicles so mm-hmm. um, there's that thing too so I don't we can't first we can do a whole lot when we go home.
0: Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of sense uh, the fact that you would uh, keep your dog uh, either in a car or uh, not in the open and that's very interesting because this is something that I bet a lot of listeners didn't really know in uh, certain areas that you wouldn't feel comfortable taking your guide dog.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So a very, very, very interesting. And it, it's an interesting dynamic as well. And uh, that's uh, something that we don't realize with culture. So Vivi, what about yourself? Well, coming from uh, your Caribbean background with uh, having a guide dog?
1: Yeah, thanks for asking, Ben. And before I respond, I just want to touch on something that Andrea said and that you've alluded to earlier in the podcast, which is that being part of a guide dog team is definitely a partnership. I know probably the overriding assumption is that, you know, the guide dog is there for us and to meet our needs in terms of mobility. And while that is very much true Um, we as responsible guide dog handlers also have to look after you know the needs of our guide dogs and when it is or is not appropriate to have them with us uh, their comfort and safety in caring for them and enabling them to continue to do the job that they do which is so important which is keeping us safe so um, I appreciate Andrea saying, you know, like in some contexts, it's just not beneficial to have her guide with her. And I feel the same way too. It depends yeah. on the situation, whether I would mm-hmm. bring my, my guides or or leave them because it's not only my safety, it's it's their safety and and their ability to, you know, handle that situation and make sure that, you know, they're not put in a situation that would cause them Dress so That they can continue to do the work they've been trained to do for, you know, years of their long, happy, healthy working life. Um, and to return to your question, yes, um, as a Caribbean person or person with uh, Caribbean ancestry or descent, um, there have been some instances where you know my family have not really understood the purpose or the function of the guide dog. I mean, they understand it on an intellectual level, but um, for many Caribbean people, it's not a common thing to have dogs in the house because the climate is so warm. Like dogs can stay outside all year long and they usually function as guide dogs or as pets who remain outside. So um, with my first guide dog, I think it was an adjustment period for some of my extended family to have the dog inside, you know, have the dog constantly with me. Um, not really understanding like the dog is not just going to sit there in one corner throughout the family event and not move. Like they get up, they move, they stretch. Um, unfortunately they do shed hair. So, you know, that's, that's a concern in terms of, you know, how comfortable people are with, uh, hygiene of course we as handlers keep them as clean as we possibly can because they travel with us in the public and all sorts of areas but just yeah negotiating sort of the western idea of yes it's a guide dog and it's it's helping me and it goes everywhere that i go um placing that against kind of cultural ideas about uh, where and when non-human animals belong in the domestic space. Yeah, I was gonna
3: recall that too about what you were saying about that powwows. Because there's also certain times that I have no babysitter from my dog. So when I went to the States, I didn't have really anybody to watch him. So I had to take my service dog with me. But now I have more support with the dogs right now that I could get a babysitter just like that. Uh, one of my friends, she, she hopes to have him when he retires. So she's the one that usually watches him when I need to go any place where I can't take my service dog. So I understand what she was saying uh, about that. She doesn't always take the dog with her. Like the Manitowabi when it was at the Arby convention, I brought him there once because I knew I was only going to be there for like half hour or so. Mm -hmm. And so that that problem, I I understand what she was saying was too many people. And that's why I had my dog, the same problem because he couldn't keep still because also at the one at the convention center, the ground shook when they're dancing, so he couldn't keep still. But uh, I had to leave earlier because he couldn't handle the laying on the ground while there was lots of kids bothering him and then the ground was shaking when they're dancing. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: So I had to leave early. So I just came there for a bit.
2: Yeah, and um, when I went to the festival, (laughs) actually, had to like ask my friend like last minute if she wanted to she could babysit her for the day (laughs) but um I just wanted to go back to what you said about um a friend wanting to uh, have your dog after it retires I have so many people telling me that they want to take my dog and like I literally have a list of people and they're like when does when she retires can I take her and I'm just like no like I'm keeping her (laughs) (laughs) like there's so many people I'm just like you you no, you guys want to take her away from me? Like, is that what you guys are doing?
1: <laughs> yeah, they totally become
2: a part of the family, right? Like I retired my two
1: previous dogs and yeah, they, they stayed with me. They were, they were my family. Like, no, I wasn't gonna let them go back to their puppy raisers or, you know, to one of the many people that have signed up to adopt retired guides
3: see with me when i had my first dog before i even got a service dog that was the thing i had to make a decision do I, am i going to keep the dog when he retires or not but because i lived in a subsidized housing even right now i knew i wouldn't be able to keep him as a pet since they don't allow uh, dogs at the uh, houses or uh, subsidized housing like an apartment i'm living right now so i made the decision before i got a service dog that I'd have to take him back but I also knew it would be hard to let go of a dog because of all the years in bonding
0: that you've been together and even hearing this conversation me being that one one person who doesn't have a guide dog and it, it at the back of my mind over the years I have been thinking like because I hear so many stories about how it is easier to navigate with a guide dog compared to a cane, and the fact that it's a friend of mine made mention that's like butter, butter. You're just like flying and gliding down the street. But I'm gonna go back to uh, the cultural aspect and what Vivi was making mention about in my the West African culture. Dogs were always outside. Even me growing up, I never grew up with a pet, uh, so I have that mindset of. The dogs ain't supposed to be inside. And, and uh, even my parents being like, why is that dog here? Or even extended family members. But I really love the connections that you, you you you're showing because all that changes. So a question for you folks is, uh, when you initially got your dog, was that the same mindset that ran through your head? Or did you know that you wanted a dog?
2: When I went blind back in 2015, I knew, like, I wanted to get a guide dog um, as soon as possible because, you know, I went through most of my life being sighted, right? Like, not perfectly sighted, but sighted nonetheless. <laughs> um, so going from, like, you know, being able to do everything um, independently to, like, being almost not, not as independent at all <laughs> was really hard for me. So, like, I knew I wanted to get a guide dog as soon as I learned about them. Um, it took me a few years so I finally got her in 2019 um, but taking her home um, back to the reserve was um, from a cultural perspective difficult because um, like you yourself Ben and Vivi um, a lot of the people <laughs> back in, back where I live um, didn't don't really know like what a service dog is or like that they're protected by a law and etc so Back when the pandemic first began, um, we were stuck at home. It was like the dead of winter and like, you know, she wasn't getting any work because we used to live in the residence and um, so we'd go back home every summer. um, So I actually took her just to get like a little bit of work in harness work. I took her to the store on the reserve and they almost wouldn't let me in because, like, they didn't understand, like, you know, that a dog could be a service dog and that this dog was well behaved. Because, like, all they knew <laughs> were basically, like, you know, the dogs that they had on the reserve. So, when they, like, they did let me in, but they were like, just make sure the dog doesn't, like, you know, do any business inside the store. And I was like, no, no, no. I was like, she won't, she won't. <laughs> and, um, there's actually this other time, my mother and I were shopping in um, a small town near the reserve and there was this elder, um, she saw us standing in line and you know, my dog was just calmly standing there beside me, looking around and you know, not being disruptive or, or anything. And she was like so amazed, like she just stopped and like stood there and kind of just stared at us for a few minutes. And she was like, oh my God, that dog, is, is so like well-behaved and she just she just kept on repeating it like she couldn't like believe her eyes <laughs> you know there's like this um nice looking well-behaved dog that you know wasn't doing anything sniffing anything and yeah like she was just so amazed to see that
0: i bet people who do have those perceptions of i'm not gonna let a guide dog in a restaurant or i'm not gonna let them in an uber or a rideshare or i'm not gonna let them in my house, that those perceptions come from people thinking guide dogs are regular dogs and <laughs> not trained and probably gonna rip off everything. But <laughs> Andrea, perfect example of just seeing a guide dog at work and showing that hey, look, this this wonderful dog is so well behaved and it's so responsible. Uh so definitely I think those are uh, ways to to show the importance of uh the or the tool of a guide dog.
1: Well, similar to Andrea, I was partially sighted for most of my life, so navigated with a cane. Um and then when I lost my sight completely, uh cane travel just was a different experience for me and uh I mean, it's vitally necessary of course for your mobility, but I had encountered people with guide dogs intermittently throughout my life, and I thought that that was, you know, a wonderful partnership for all it offered in terms of enhancing your mobility and the companionship, and I love animals, so it was always something I thought about, Um, and fun fact, Steve was one of the first people I met with a guide dog, and uh, just kind of Knowing him and his dog um, in the way they interacted and, uh, you know, he was often at events that I was at, um, just seeing that teamwork, that kind of definitely motivated me to take action and, and really seriously consider getting a guide dog once I had completely lost my sight, so yeah and and i agree it's just a different way of moving through the world um it's seamless and closer. and uh it's 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 fluid in a way that you know working with a cane isn't they're they're different they're both useful they're both necessary they are all both um get you where you need to go but uh just working in in a team with a guide dog it's almost an indescribable experience for the mobility that it offers and the uh companionship and and everything that comes from that relationship
2: definitely um yesterday (laughs) i took my dog out just for a walk on the leash and so i had my white cane with me and um yeah, like, you know, when you're working them in harness, like, you don't notice, like, half the things you walk by on a mm-hmm. daily basis. Mm-hmm. So, um, because I had my cane yesterday and she was just on leash, um, I was following the um, grass line along the sidewalk and <clears throat> I walked right over a manhole that I <laughs> didn't even know existed until today. And I was like, when did that get there? <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> like, I've walked this way, like, a thousand times and, like, I never knew it was there until yesterday
0: interesting fact wow (laughs) look at that just been gliding all this time yeah (laughs) yeah and even with that said uh steve and we just got a tidbit we got uh, a lens living diverse exclusive you were the one who who got Vivi to get her dog like one of the (laughs) motivations so see this is what the lens is all about it gives you breaking news so (laughs) steve what was your process when you first got your your dog
3: I was single that time, so I wanted to be a chick magnet.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We love honesty on the lens. (laughs)
3: Uh, So where do I register? (laughs) That was a thought back then. But then uh, once I started learning about guide dogs, then I I understood it more. So then uh, that's why I said a roller coaster. Because once you grab that handle, that dog wants to work and he knows what he's doing. So then I don't feel blind when I'm with, this, with a service dog. That's the same thing with a cane, but a little slower and more cautious. But with a dog, you get used to that uh, over the years when you bond, you could do anything. You could go anywhere. Because I sometimes walk from down here where I live, say, to downtown. I go to a Cinnamon Park. I walk from there to Polo Park. So I walk all over the city. But then the pandemic stopped it. So... That's why I wanted to get a dog is to, to be more independent, and once I got the dog, that's how I felt that I could just do anything I want, and I nothing uh, blocks it, because I could just walk anywhere. So I do lots of walking around, and I feel more independent with a, with a service dog, like a roller coaster.
1: And I just want to return to uh, the thing that you said, Steve. The dogs actually do have, um, you know, an untapped skill in that they definitely help you in social situations. Um, Like people are drawn to the dog, so they'll come up and talk to you sometimes whether you want them to or not. But I, you know, I'm, when I was uh, a student, definitely having the dog helped me meet a lot more people and mix and mingle in a way that I don't think I would have, able to do just with my cane like I was able to you know make new friends because the dog is a great conversation piece they want to talk to the dog and yeah and you know after they ask their questions about the dog then they're kind of interested in in you so yeah that's kind of a you know
2: an unspecified skill that they do have Mm
1: -hmm. and I find
2: that too like people don't realize like you are blind (laughs) when you have a dog Mm Um. until you tell them and you're like oh really then what kind of dog is that like
3: yeah I still get that mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't wear glasses so that also helps it because some people think you have to wear glasses in order to be
2: blind yeah
3: but I just want to look cool if I do
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and... like there's actually been um sorry uh times yep. where um where I found like wearing sunglasses and if I needed help I'd get help quickly than not wearing sunglasses yes,
3: yes, <laughs> which that's is interesting. Very funny that yeah is very I interesting when I put them on too <laughs> yeah,
0: definitely interesting and I, I found it funny because uh BB was making mention that it's a good start of conversation so you're never going to have people being like oh what breed of cane is that or <laughs> <laughs> how does it feel taking your cane out for a walk so <laughs> your cane is so
2: shiny <laughs> yes what kind of yeah. what
1: kind of tip do you have on that cane yeah, yeah. good <laughs> cane
0: good cane yeah so Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna go on to uh the next question because I know we brought up uh, a lot about culture and here on the lens living diverse it's it, we just love celebrating culture uh, we love talking about people's experiences within their cultures and uh, uh, informing listeners about their experiences. So I would love to, to ask both of you, uh, what is your experiences with your cultures? Uh, do you find that it's your sight loss is uh, celebrated? Do you find that there's um aspects to learn and this is your perspective? So uh, with, the experiences that you had
2: for me I know that's a bit tricky um <clears throat> because when I first went blind a lot of like the attitude around me <laughs> was kind of like stick me in a turn in a corner and like you know I sit there until we leave kind of thing and like nobody wanted to like really interact with me if it was then it would be like um older relatives that wanted to see how I was doing with everything um, and like, you know, the people that I used to talk to when I went to school under reserve, um, you know, never really bothered with me again. <laughs> no. Um, and you know, everything just kind of changed, um, went from, you know, being okay to like more awkward in a sense. Cause like nobody knows how they should best go about interacting with you. And again, from my opinion, um, uh, disabled people are kind of just pushed to the back and kind of forgotten because like i know when i grew up before i went blind um i never saw people with disabilities um like at all and like the people that i have heard of were kind of like shipped away and like never seen again (laughs) which is really sad um yeah that's my opinion and experience
3: yeah see that's about the same thing like with me too like sometimes they don't know what to do like how to uh, react with you uh, for instance like if you want water or something or they tend to forget that you're you're blind and then they're waving at you
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> or
3: when you're sitting there and then all of a sudden they just you're in the middle of a conversation all of a sudden next thing you know it's like somebody else comes in, who are you talking to because they leave you mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're in the middle of the conversation so. and that's the same thing what she was mentioning that they put you in the corner and okay there's wait here and we'll come feed you We'll put the food on the plate, but you, meanwhile, you could get up and get it yourself too. You just have to walk slow and be cautious on how you get your food. But sometimes they'll just let you sit there and then they'll get you your food for you. So sometimes you feel not independent when they do that.
0: And I totally, totally hear you. I know previous episodes, uh, which uh, Nisha and Vivi have been a part of, it's almost where culturally it's ingrained that, when you do live with a disability, like, we're supposed to help you, or you can't partake in uh, certain aspects. So I feel that it is so important to show awareness and to show that, hey, like, I may have sight loss, but I am still a dot, dot, dot person. I'm still part of uh, the culture, and I still experience the same thing uh, that you would be experiencing as well. So Thank you for shedding light on uh, your experiences as well. And uh, even with you, Vivi, is there any experience I know we spoke about in the past for sure?
1: Yeah, I mostly agree with uh, what Andrea and Steve are saying in terms of, uh, you know, the cultural experience. I find that the relatives that I have that knew me before and after sight loss while I was growing up, um, you know, they treated me pretty much the same it's just one aspect of my life changed like I was low vision or partially sighted and now I have no sight so um, because their exposure to me was quite constant throughout my life um, their perceptions haven't changed but I find that um, you know the relatives that may not have as much contact with me their ideas of uh sight loss and disability may be different because of their cultural experience of people with disability from you know the island and country that they came from, and much like Andrea and Steve were saying, you know uh people with disabilities like they're not out in society, they're not doing things they're not participating in the same way they're kind of yeah in the house and maybe cared for as opposed to having an active role in their own lives so that's the biggest difference i would say that i've noticed and experienced Um, and in addition to that i think it's changing a little bit too because you know through their knowledge and exposure with me and seeing other disabled people just living their lives in society like I think that's been an educated moment and so their expectations may have changed like oh yeah you know when when we were outside of Canada this was the expectation and experience for people with disabilities but now in Canada there are different opportunities and um, more possibilities for people with disabilities so I I hope and I think that uh, just you know, exposure to the different ways that uh, people navigate the world around them with their lived experience is is helpful, and that helps change minds and perceptions.
0: Exactly, and uh, something that came to to my mind, and speaking uh, with you, Andrew and Steve, is uh, going forward and looking at our, our current society. There is a big push to educate for the indigenous culture, which I definitely feel is so important. When I was in school, we looked at the social work perspective of indigenous culture and such a a different perspectives coming from that culture. And I look at it as uh, when there was Black Lives Matter movement, where it's sometimes they would have a scope of able-bodied Black person. And it would almost be like, okay, sure, that's an able-bodied Black person's experience. But what about a disabled uh, Black person's experience? Uh, so with your, your uh, experiences, do you find that moving forward with this education and uh uh, with this awareness that you're included in the conversation as persons with sight loss and even with guide dogs as
2: well, I think it would definitely be um, beneficial just because, like in general, like nobody knows a whole lot of dis- about a whole lot of disabilities. And the indigenous community is affected by sight loss pretty greatly um due to like you know diabetes. Um, so I think like you know that would be really important. Um, Just because like, you know, like not everybody would only want to have a white cane or like, you know, some people would want to have guide dogs and so a lot of, a lot more, an increase in guide dog users in the Indigenous community, I think would be really interesting Um, and even just like the general education about it in communities would be great because, you know, maybe it'll lead to more participation um, and inclusion of us in like, you know, the daily things that happen in communities.
3: Yeah, the other thing is too on reserve, I'm not sure, but I, I know I had a friend there before when he had a service dog. He went to the same school as me, but I think he was more concerned about the loose dogs, the wild dogs or dogs that are on the loose. So I think that was the only concern he had when he got his service dog. Because he used to have to, when he takes his dog for a walk, he used to have to watch out for, listen out for other dogs that are loose all the time. So I think that's the other thing is uh, some people that I know, the same thing with diabetic, they lost their sight, but they don't have a dog because they were more concerned about loose dogs on the reserve.
0: It's it's, You guys hit the nail on the head, it's sometimes like when they look at social determinants of health sometimes it's not even the fact that we look at individuals thriving within their environment uh with sight loss but it's the structural things right the things that can be removed that uh can advance that other person as well so Mm -hmm. really really good points and you you folks are amazing (laughs) in in addressing this right yeah, so even we were making mention of the reserves and we have organizations such as the CNIB and other organizations out there. Uh, how involved are these organizations and what would you like to see moving forward with these organizations within those spaces?
2: Well, from my experience, <laughs> I almost didn't get... um. Uh, services from CNIB because they thought I lived on reserve. Um, so my community is kind of like, um, most of it is a reserve, and then like a smaller portion of it is non-reserve, and like really the only thing that separates us is a sign. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, this the side that I live on it has a different name from the reserve, right? And Because like, you know, a whole lot of people, I guess, they don't really come across communities like that. Um, CNIB almost didn't give me um, any O&M services or independent living services because they thought I lived on reserve. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's one of the the drawbacks, because again, like, you know, because of diabetes and sight loss, like, you know, there could be a lot of people on reserves that don't get services with CNIB. Um, simply because they live on a reserve. And for a lot of them, like traveling to where they can have those services isn't really possible Um, depending on their situation.
3: Yeah, see, with me, I've lived in the city all my life, so I don't really have the experience to, to know what it is isn't on the reserve, what uh, she was just saying. So I, I'm not really sure how to answer that because I've lived in the city all my life and it's all hearsay when I hear something from people that said they had experience with, with a service animal on the reserve. So that's the only experience I have. It's from, just from friends.
0: And mm-hmm. Yeah. So even with that said, I know, uh, and thank you, Steve, I appreciate uh, your experience. Uh, with that said, Andrea, uh is there equivalent of like o or IOS that you could utilize on the reserve or
2: um not as far as I know um because like I have heard um viewpoints of other people who I know like who currently live on a reserve and like you know like some people like do want to get out and go to like, you know, different places, but they can't because like, you know, they don't know how to use their cane or, you know, you know there there's like so many um, barriers with that. And I don't know um, the reasons why CNIB don't service people on a reserve, but I think that would be like one very important and good change um, because I don't know, it's just, I just find it weird (laughs) that they don't offer that.
3: Yeah, see, because I had one also friend, he lived up north, and he had to move to the city because he didn't have the support for his medical and plus for, to use a cane and I think it was just the the location that he had. He had to move to the city here Mm -hmm. uh, because he was having difficulty on getting support, like uh, to learn braille or to use a cane. And it was just maybe the way he, where he stayed, it was hard for support to get there. And that was the last mm-hmm. time I heard from him. I was, uh, I'm not sure if he moved to the city or if he still lives out up north.
0: I think it's such important conversation to have. It is a very important conversation to have, even us as, uh, even Vivi and I as uh, individuals who work at CNIB especially in advocacy for sure so <laughs> yeah like it, yeah, these are a great conversation and I remember talking to you Andrea and Steve last week and uh, since we've been recording I, I've been thinking like wow like I did not know <laughs> and I was unaware so like yeah, I said same
1: here yeah I was not aware until you brought it up Andrea in our
2: conversation
0: yeah Yeah. so definitely so important to have these conversations so important to 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 have shed light on who is missing out on these these services right and falling through the cracks so thank you for for educating us uh, for sure and uh, I'm going to go into the last question I, I feel like I could talk to you both for hours and hours Uh, hands down, for sure. Uh, Just in this whole conversation, we talked about guide dogs. We talked about uh, your culture. We also talked about the awareness of guide dogs and just awareness of people with sight loss. So wrapping everything up in a a tight bow and for the listeners, any last comments or anything that you would like the listeners to know Uh, coming out of this episode?
2: Um, I guess one thing that I would like to see people kind of like, I don't know about change, but, you know, see a difference in is um, the mindset of like, you know, people with sight loss and without sight loss. Um, Because I know for me, like I've been a part of like, you know, just a regular chat group of Indigenous people. And a lot of I think some of them lived on reserve, but their mindset was like, you know, I can't see. So I can't do anything like, you know, despite hearing like, you know, what other people with vision loss are doing out in the world. They're like, oh, well, I can't do that because I can't see you. <laughs> like, you know, everything's just yeah. um, related to like not being able to see. It's like, well, it's, it's not the point. It's like you can do stuff, but yeah. you just have to get out of like that negative mindset. And then, um, you know, for people like without sight loss, <laughs> I guess it would be very similar because it's like, you know, you can't do anything because you can't see, right? Um, so, like, you know, you know, being more inclusive in terms of inviting people out to things, like, you know, cause some people do like to go out and get out and, but, you know, some people might not. <laughs> so I kind of think it just depends on the person. Um, yeah. But yeah, being more inclusive and be getting out of that negative mindset.
3: Yeah, also for support too. Like we're all there because we all understand what we went through to lose our sight. So mm-hmm. sometimes I used to get uh, calls from somebody who had just recently lost it, or an indigenous person I had from uh, a friend that was also blind, but they wanted me to talk to the person because he was indigenous and to explain them. Mm-hmm about how I lived through as a blind person and talk about guide dogs and the sports I do too because I do a variety of different sports. But then the pandemic is the one that uh, slowed me down or stopped everything just like everybody else. So that's why I I know there's lots of support out there if we all talk to each other because that's the first time I heard about it too, what she said she was in an indigenous uh, support group, you said?
2: Yeah. Yeah
0: excellent thank you so much for your opinions and i like to say what what's textbooks we don't need textbooks we have individuals <laughs> that we can learn off each other and uh even just having this this podcast i i learned a lot i will definitely tap on you both to learn more and even if we have uh another episode anything else even if it's just us sitting and chatting a nice coffee. I am one hundred percent down.
1: Oh yeah, I'm totally down. I love talking to Andrea and Steve. I've had conversations with them in the past, and yeah, it's a delight to spend time and and talk about things with them, advocacy related and non.
3: first time for a podcast for me. It's,
0: <laughs> great. it's such great people to have you on because it it you. Both did incredible. So uh from here, uh we are we ran out of time, but I would just like to thank both Andrea and Steve once again for coming on the lens Living Diverse. You guys are amazing.
2: Thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you for having me too.
0: No problem. And I'm glad this is the first podcast. So we just made a little bit of history for for both of you. <laughs> <laughs> So, everybody, thank you for listening to the Lens Living Diverse. Uh, what a wonderful episode we had with Andrea and Steve. If you like today's episode or any other episode, please like and subscribe to your favorite platforms. Also, if you would like to know more information about diversity and inclusion, please visit the CNIB webpage, go to Advocate, and then click on We Are CNIB. Also, if you have any questions or any input or even just want to be a part of the Lens Living Diverse, please email us at advocacy at cnib.ca. Once again, advocacy at cnib.ca. So once again, I was one of your hosts, Ben, along with my co-host, Vivi.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone. And in honor of Guide Dog Access Awareness Month, Woof woof!
0: Exactly, peace!